Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good, good to be here all the way from Amish country. How many of you know about the Amish? Well, most of you do. Been down in our area. If you ever get down in our area, make sure you look up our church, visit our church there. Um, Cheryl and I are really glad to be here. We uh, enjoy our friendship with uh, Pastor John and Anita and uh, others of you and Pastor Ray and others and Kurt. Uh, what a great job this morning in worship. Wasn't that great this morning? Enjoyed that worship. Your new chairs. Great. Yeah, it's awesome. Glad to be here and um, at Faith Christian Center and always enjoy our time with uh, Pastor John and Anita, like I said. While we were worshiping today, um, I heard these words in my spirit. And uh, so, I, I, you know, sometimes when you hear things, you... You, you think, should you say it or not? But I heard these words, uh, worry, anxiety, and lack of peace. Worry, anxiety, and lack of peace. Uh, while we were worshiping, I heard those words. And so if you are, um, or should I say those of you who are dealing with worry or anxiety or lack of peace, I just want to pray. Uh, in John 14, uh, Jesus said this. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Everybody say gift. Yes. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. That was his gift that he left. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So Jesus gave us a gift of peace of heart and mind. And uh, we know that the world and the enemy tries to steal that from us through life circumstances or what have you. And so, um, and then I thought about this scripture. You know, it's amazing what goes on during worship time, isn't it? God just speaks to your heart, you know. In Philippians chapter 4, it says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> In, but it doesn't, it doesn't just stop there. It says, instead... Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. <laughs> Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So if you're dealing with worry... For whatever reason, stuff going on in your life, or uh, you just have a lack of peace, or maybe you have panic attacks or anxiety that hits you from time to time, uh, I want to pray, okay? And you know who you are. I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself. I'm just, you know who you are. And so just receive this today. So let's just bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, uh, you are the God of peace. You are the God of peace. And Jesus came and left us with a gift of peace of heart and mind. And I pray in his name. I pray in Jesus' name. Uh, I speak peace over this entire congregation, especially with those individuals 
who are dealing with worry and anxiety and a lack of peace. I speak peace into their minds, into the the, the storms of life they're going through, into their hearts, into their family situations, into their businesses, wherever that worry is trying to come in, we speak peace. We speak peace all over this uh, congregation in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. So receive that. You know, all of us are tempted from time to time to worry, but worry really doesn't get us anywhere, but praying does. But a little bit, those of you who don't know us, a little bit about us, we, uh, as Pastor John said, I was raised Amish in Lancaster County, uh, raised on a farm. I was the oldest, I still am the oldest of 12. And um, uh, I left the Amish when I was 18 uh, because I wanted a car. <laughs> I wanted a car and I wanted uh, electricity and I wanted uh, a radio and I wanted uh, all those things. <laughs> uh, but even as a, as a little, uh, you know, uh, one time we had a snowstorm and electricity went out for about five days in our area. I said, that's nothing. I lived without electricity for 21 years. <laughs> of course, I was used to it, you know. Um, but as a little boy, I felt called to the ministry, even at age 11. Uh, I remember... Um, the Amish people have church every other week, and they host a church in their, in their house or maybe in the barn, and what they do is they build their houses in such a way that they can take out all the uh, partitions downstairs, except for the load-bearing pillars, of course, and uh, then they take all those, lo- all those uh, partitions out and put in all kinds of benches and, and probably can seat up to 100 people in those houses. And... Um, so we have church every, they had church every other week. And, but the week in between, uh, my dad, who was a little more spiritual minded than many of them, uh, he, would, he would make us have uh, Sunday school or, or he would make us uh, uh, memorize scripture, <laughs> which I didn't like. But uh, today I appreciate it. I mean, he made me um, uh, memorize Matthew 5. What's your name? What is it? Tim. Tim. <laughs> Tim, you know how many, how many uh, verses there are in Matthew 5? 20? <laughs> about 48. 48. <laughs> about 48. And I had to memorize it in German and in English. Because he bought us a Bible that had German on one side and English on the other. I didn't like it then, but I like it now. You know, it was a, it was a good thing. And then... I would, we would uh, play church and I'd be the preacher and I'm the oldest, you know, and all my siblings are the congregation. So one day I was preaching on Daniel and the lion's den and my grandfather who lived in the, in the house on the other, a little apartment on the other side of the house, he came over and sat in the congregation, my Amish grandfather and I'm preaching and when I'm finished, he comes up and he, to me and he says, uh, he says, he says it in Dutch. He said, fly some dog, watch you in Brady That means maybe someday you'll be a preacher. That's Pennsylvania Dutch. We spoke Pennsylvania Dutch. Fly some dog watch doing bread hop. Maybe someday you'll be a preacher. Well, that was like prophetic. I didn't realize it at the time, of course. Because when you turn 16 as an Amish person, you kind of feel like you have this badge of freedom. 
they kind of have this unknown and unverbalized belief that when you uh, are in your teenage years, you kind of go wild for a while and you sow your wild oats and then you, you know, kind of get it out of your system and then you come back and then you put your hat back on and you bring, you put your car away and get your horse and buggy back and, and all of that. And then you kind of settle down and then everything's okay. But really what happens is nothing happens in here. It's all outward. Now, I'm not saying that some of them are not born again. But the, th- the thing about it is they don't believe that you can know that you're saved. So it's all works. Now, I'm not saying that some of them aren't saved. I'm sure some of them are. Uh, my, when my mom and dad got saved, then they were excommunicated from the Amish church. And so, um, uh, so when I got that badge of freedom, so to speak, um, I went out and I spent from age 16 to 24. Because sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And I got into the party scene and, and the Amish young folks, we have what we call hoedowns. Where you clean out the upstairs of the barn and you set up a, a wagon, a, a, a hay wagon as your stage. And you have a, a bluegrass band and you dance and you drink and you do all kinds of stuff. I'm bursting your bubble about the Amish, am I not? <laughs> yes, I am. And, um, but sin will always keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll take you further than you want to go. And it'll cost you more than you can pay. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. But I got out there and, um, I don't know if I was an alcoholic, but close to it. And so in, in the middle of that, my wife and I got married. And the way we uh, met was my parents pleaded with me to go to church somewhere because church attendance to the Amish people is very important. And uh, so uh, there was a Mennonite church. And maybe some of you don't know the difference between Amish and Mennonite. I don't know, but I don't have time to, to get onto all that stuff. But um, it was about a mile away from our farm. So I thought I'll go there. Not because I was spiritually hungry, not because of anything like that. It was just, I was rebellious, but I wanted to please my parents. So I went and that's where I met my wife. And I went to look at the girls. That's why I went. And I found this one. And um, so we've been married now almost 51 years. Yeah. (laughs) Almost 51 years. We have four children. Uh, They're all grown, of course, one in heaven and three on the earth. We have seven grandchildren, uh, one that's eight weeks old today. And we have four great-grandchildren and one that is eight days old today. (laughs) And uh, so I kind of hoodwinked her. She thought I was saved, but I really wasn't. And uh, so we moved to Phoenix, Arizona after we got married in October of 1968. And um, I worked in a hospital there and I got involved with the wrong gang there in the hospital, the employees. They had all these parties. And so I'd go to the parties and she wouldn't. And I'd go without her. And um, my life became a real mess. And so and all that time. 
Tim, I was going to church. I'm telling I was a head usher. I was the head usher in a church. I'd be drunk on a Saturday night and come to church and say, hi, how are you doing today? A head usher, they had no discernment whatsoever. And a youth advisor. Some kind of advice I gave. But that's my, that was my life. It was terrible. I knew I was sinking. I knew it. And then I started coming home drunk. And she started locking me out of the house. Bless her heart. I'm glad she did. Well, the thing about it is, though, she knew that I wouldn't freeze to death in Phoenix. Because it doesn't get cold there. <laughs> she knew. So I just lay out in the yard till morning. And then I kicked the door down. Yeah, I was not a nice guy. And uh, so the first four years of our marriage was, was uh, not good. And, but it survived mainly because of her. I should say all because of her. Yeah, yeah. Then in this Mennonite church where we were involved in, in Phoenix, Arizona, this a singing group came one Sunday, and our church was basically dead. You know, just, just dead. And um, this singing group came, and they smiled when they sang, and they had some life, and it caught my attention, and I was just on a downward spiral of my life. And I said to Cheryl and I, and they were going to be at other churches, like on a Monday night, Tuesday, and I said, Let, I'm going to go. And so we went, and one night, and then you'd have altar calls, and I would like sweat. My, my shirt would get wet. I'd, like to, I'd sweat, and I'd hold on to the bench, and, and we never had altar calls in our, in our uh, church. I didn't, I didn't know what was happening. And one day she said, I'm going to go up and rededicate my life. And the next thing I knew, I was up there beside her. And one of the little, one of the, the guys in the band, in that singing group, came and prayed with me. He was probably like 14 years old. I don't know who he was. Someday I hope to meet him in heaven. Amen. And led me to the Lord. Amen. My life changed. Overnight. Overnight. Yep. I never took another drink. I know it doesn't work this way for everybody, but for me it did. One day going this direction, the next day this direction. I went out and bought a, a living Bible. And I started reading the living Bible. I read that through seven times in the first year. And that hunger for the word, Pastor John, has never left me. Never left me. Because the word is your foundation. But then this, maybe someday you'll be a preacher. Like was in neon lights, so to speak, in front of me. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do with that? I mean, Amish, don't go, they're not allowed to go to high school. They're not allowed to go to college. So I had eighth grade education. And I'm thinking, and I was very ignorant of the Bible. Didn't know much about scripture. Because in the Amish church, the preacher preaches in German. And we speak Pennsylvania Dutch at home. So you sit there and you don't understand the preacher. It's the stupidest thing you ever could. I mean, why? You know. And so I was very ignorant concerning the word. And I felt like if I'm going to 
if I'm going to someday be a preacher, well, then I'm going to have to get some training. I'm going to have to get some understanding. And, but, but who? Who's going to take me eighth grade education? Who's going to, who? And so we started a Bible study. Some of us then got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then we really got crazy. Amen. Got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we started this Bible study. And the church we were going to didn't like it that we started it. And, um, but it grew to 100 people in someone's home on a Tuesday night. <laughs> I mean, we would worship God for an hour. And then we'd pray for people, and we got off into some stupid stuff, too, because we didn't really have good guidance, you know. And, and finally, a man came and helped us get grounded in the Word and, and all of that. And, uh, but one night, one Tuesday night, a man from Maryland, we are in Pennsylvania, uh, an elderly gentleman, probably about my age. <laughs> I forget that I'm 71, you know. And... Um, so he came and handed me a Word of Faith magazine. I never heard of it. And there's a little, there's a little uh, article in there that says, a new Bible school starting called Rama Bible Training Center. And then in fine print it said, no high school diploma needed. Oh, whoa. I said, look, I said, I said, hon, look at this. And so that's where we went. Packed up our little girls, took a step of faith, and headed for Tulsa, Oklahoma, same Bible school that your pastor graduated from. I didn't know much. I mean, we didn't have much money. All that, but but we knew what God said, <laughs> and and we started. And I was just going to go to school, and she was going to support me and, and put me through school by working. Right? Well, about. The, the third day of orientation, I felt the Holy Spirit say, she should go. And I'm thinking, I don't even have money to pay my tuition. So I go home and tell her, and she says, I thought you wouldn't say that. Because she, she felt the same thing. And we both went. God supplied our need. But now it's April, and we're graduating in May. What are we going to do? So one day I looked at her and I said, what are we going to do? Just go back to Pennsylvania and just, you know, like hang drywall? I was a drywaller. I had a business, me and my brother, and uh, nothing wrong with hanging drywall, but it wasn't for me. And, um, and so he said, well, I don't know. We're believing God for a place to minister. We said that from the time we started going to school. We said, we're going to believe God for a place to minister. <laughs> and uh, a couple days later, we get an invitation to come back to Lancaster County, where we were from. And I had always had this, this, this inner desire to go back to Lancaster County. And um, they said, would you come back? There's a small group of people back here that want to start a church, about 25 people. And uh, they've just been newly baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they just want to start a church. Would you come be the pastor? I said, no way. No way. I didn't feel called to be a pastor. I'm, I was called to be an evangelist or something, not a pastor. And, um, but, I, you know, we just thought about it and thought about it. I said, all right, let's go. And so we went and started Worship Center in June of 19. 77 and to our amazement people started coming back in the day late 70s early 80s there was pockets of revival happening here in america and our area was one of them the jesus festival started there and all of this stuff and and people just came and we were the most surprised i mean in in five years time our church grew to a thousand people. 
Amazing. We needed no strategy. We just were trying to keep up helping people and preaching to people and helping people grow in the word of God. And, um, and so all that started and went all the way to 40 years. And while before we started, I heard these words in my heart, 40 years. Once we said, yes, we'll come back. I heard 40 years. I thought that's not a problem because Jesus coming back before 40 years, certainly. So 35 years rolled around. And one day I said to Sherlyn, I said, this could actually happen. So let's make a plan. So we had a transition and I transitioned out of lead pastor role there two years ago, which was my 40th year and transitioned it to a younger man who has been in our church for four years. I mean, since he's four years old and uh, he was our worship director for 10 years. And so he's been uh, in that role now for two years and doing an amazing job. Uh, We're still there. Uh, have an office there. We oversee our network of churches and ministers. So I'm kind of like in a, in a uh, father, spiritual father or, or apostolic, you know, don't call me apostle, but I'm just kind of like an apostolic role, you know, overseeing churches and helping leaders and pastors. And then of course we continue to uh, uh, serve as the regional director of, of Rhema here in the Northeast, which we enjoy as well. So that gives you a little bit of, a, of our background Um, But I want to talk to you for a few minutes today about a very important uh, thing in our lives, and that is the power of our words. The power of our words. Um, We can uh, speak into the lives of people, which includes our children, our grandchildren, and now me, my great-grandchildren. We can speak into the lives of people. And we need to take this responsibility very seriously because we can impact people. Well, we do impact people with our words. They can be positive or they can be negative. Everybody here today in this room can be a godly, positive influence in the lives of people that you rub shoulders with, including your family, mostly your family. Your family will be influenced, is being influenced by the words you speak, whether whether we realize it or not. Two weeks ago, we were in Danbury, Connecticut, preaching in a church in Mount Kisco, New York, but we had been in a seminar in Danbury, Connecticut, and then we stayed there at the hotel and then drove to Mount Kisco, New York, Sunday morning to preach at a church there. But I came down in our hotel to get a little breakfast before we left to drive to Mount Kisco. And there was a little boy sitting there. He's probably about 11 years old, I would, I would estimate. And he looked so uh, uh, downcast. You know, little boys are normally up. But he looked so downcast. And I, I was about to go over and talk to him and maybe cheer him up a little bit. And, um, uh, but, you know, I, I hesitated a little bit. And then... And then his father, I'm assuming it was his father, uh, walked into the room. And right away I realized why he was downcast. His father was rough. The boy was sitting there and he hadn't gotten any breakfast yet. And the father said, why didn't you get any breakfast yet? I'm like, I'm telling you, Tim, I wanted to go over there and talk to that man. I didn't, but I wanted to. Because if I would have, I'd have probably said some things I didn't want to say. 
But I realized why that little boy was cowering when his dad walked into the room. I'm thinking, wow, those words and, and his father's influence uh, will affect that young man in the future. Words are very powerful. I remember when my father, my father died at age 69, too young, way too young. In 1990, if he'd be living today, he'd be 98. But he's been in heaven for 29 years. But the last day he was alive, he said to me that morning, he said, I think I'm going to go home today. I said, really? Because he was ill for quite a while. And... Um, 12 of us so we could take care of him. We didn't put him in a nursing home. And, um, and so we'd take care of him. My brother Steve and I, we were there that night. And, and I came over and, and I had gone home because I was, I was a preacher. I was a pastor. So I had to preach that Sunday morning. And then uh, I told my brother Steve, I'm going to go home and uh, freshen up and, and go to church. And when I got into the house, the phone rang and Steve said, you better come back because uh, dad's uh, talking a lot about heaven. And so I went back, right back over, got, called somebody to preach for me. And uh, he, as soon as I walked in the door, he said, he said Sam, uh, he called me Samuel. He said, Samuel, I think I'm going home today. I said, really, Dad? We called him Pop. Really, Pop? Going home today? And I knew what he meant. And he said, yeah. He said, you think anybody will mind? <laughs> and then I said, no, Pop, because he was struggling, you know, and, and, uh, and a lot of pain and stuff and I said, no, we'll take care of mom. You go on. Well, that morning for about four and a half hours, he spoke to us. We sang together. He had, we had all the grandkids and all that my siblings come and he knew them and talked to them and, and all of that. But we were leaning in because his words were powerful. We were leaning in. Even though he could only whisper toward the end, we said, what did he say? Words are powerful. And then he slipped off about 1230, slipped off into uh, unconsciousness and went on to be with the Lord about 330 that afternoon. But words can bring or they do bring life or they bring death. In Proverbs 1821, it says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words can bring encouragement they can bring validation. They can bring strength. They can bring vision. Words can instill into us a can-do attitude. My dad was that kind of person. He never so much said, you can do it. It's just the influence he had into our lives left us feeling like we can do what God tells us to do. And all 12 of us today are born again, Christians. Most of us have businesses or are ministers. And so he instilled into us a can-do attitude. You can do it. <laughs> and words will do that. But on the other hand, words can also bring discouragement and put down like that little boy in Danbury, Connecticut two weeks ago. Rejection. And that goes deep into the very core of the heart of a person. You know, in, in Hebrews 11.3, it says, 
by faith, we understand that the worlds, now listen to this, that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So the, wor- the worlds were framed by the word of God. What about our little world? Our sphere of influence. What about our world? It's framed by the words we speak. Because faith has a voice. If we want to change things in our lives, if there's, a, if there's an area of our life that's not, we're not happy with, it's going to have to start with what we believe and what we say. Amen. The heart and the mouth. Right. And that brings me to my first point. Words are like seeds. Yeah. Words are like seeds. When they are spoken, they are projected into the heart of the person they are spoken to. And words will produce after their kind. Like that little boy. It's fresh on my mind. That's why I'm referring to him. Because I pitied him. I, 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 had, I had just, I just thought, wow, well, how's that going to affect that little boy? Unless he gets a hold of the fact that he can stop the impact of those kind of words in the name of Jesus, it'll affect him in a negative way and take him down a wrong path. Words will produce after their kind. It says in Proverbs twelve eighteen. it says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Right. Are you out there this morning? <laughs> words go deep into our lives and we remember them for years, especially the negative ones. Especially the negative ones. Now, my dad was a great man. I, I loved him. But we were Amish. And so, um, you know, we, a lot of stuff we didn't, couldn't have and weren't allowed to have, like a haircut, right? We, were, we had, you know, my mom would cut my hair, and I didn't like it. I was just always rebellious, you know. I just, I told her when I was 12, I'm not staying Amish. She said, Schmetznet, so don't talk like that. <laughs> you know, when I, it just, I mean, I was just a rebellious guy. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. I, I really had little... I should have had much more respect for my parents. I respected him inside, but just outside, I was rough. And so when I left, the day I left, I could have, I could have, you know, I came home in, in white pants and a red shirt. I mean, I could have dressed, you know, black pants and a black shirt or whatever. But that's, that was just me. And my, I thought my mom's going to faint. But that was just me. Bad, but me. And so, um, so I went to get my first haircut at age 16, secretly, you know, snuck out, get my haircut. Sonny Longenecker was his name in Smoketown, Pennsylvania. And I went to, and he was known to give Amish young men their first haircut. <laughs> so I came home. And at the dinner table, and I'm just, I'm just thinking, and I couldn't comb it down. I just couldn't. It, it was just too short, you know. And, I, and I'm thinking, what's my dad going to say? What's my dad going to say? I, I, actually, I wanted him to say something because I was always looking for a fight. <laughs> just, 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 you know, say, say something to me so I can talk back. 
But I sat there at the dinner table. He didn't say a word. Not a word. I mean, that was worse. That was worse. So the next week we had church, Amish church. And uh, we had church in the barn. At this, the people that were hosting it had it in the barn. And they cleaned out the upstairs of their barn and, 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 and set up benches there. And they had the doors open that side, the doors open that side. And it was windy. And my hair stood straight up. <laughs> when I got home that day, my dad said something to me that I still remember 55 years later. He said, I was ashamed of you today. That was kind of out of character for my dad. But that day, I guess he was just frustrated and embarrassed that his son was looking like that in church and stood out like that. So he said, Ich hab mich chempt auf dich. That means I was ashamed of you today. Well, that's all I needed. I said, all right. That's the last time I'm going. I never went again. Words go deep, and especially the negative ones are remembered for years. <laughs> 55 years later, I still remember it. In Mark chapter 11, it says, Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he, meaning Jesus, was hungry. He went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, but it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. <laughs> That's what he said to the tree. He spoke to a tree. In the morning... As they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. I wanted you to notice that. Dried up from the roots. Everybody say roots. roots. Dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Amen. Now those words, let no man ever eat fruit from you ever again. Those words went to the roots of that tree. Our words especially negative ones, go to the core of our being. They go deep inside. And Jesus used that moment to teach his disciples about faith and about the power of words. In other words, words killed that fig tree from the roots up. Went to the roots. And words bring life or death. Words go into the heart. Thinking about that little boy in Danbury. Words go to the heart and then work their way out into our lives and affect us in our daily lives years in the future. Negative or positive. Takes me to my next point. Uh, point two. Weigh our words before we speak. Think before we speak. In James chapter 1, uh, James chapter 1 and verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the, righteous, 
the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. Now, last week was Father's Day, so I'm thinking a lot about my dad. I think I, in, in the 29 years, I think I think about him almost every day, but especially around the time it's Father's Day. But he seemed to have the wisdom when to speak and when to be slow to speak. Again, referring to my Amish days, so when I was 14, I went out and bought a radio secretly. We were not allowed to have a radio. You understand that? I'm not allowed to have a radio or TV or electricity. You know, all, you, you know that by now, right? <laughs> Do you blame me for leaving? <laughs> so I went out to a hardware store and bought an eight transistor radio for $29.95. Had to make five bucks a month payments. <laughs> I brought it home and hid it in the hay bales, among the hay bales. So... Uh, when my dad would go away, we'd get out the radio and we'd listen to the radio, me and my siblings. I was the oldest. I was leading everybody astray. <laughs> so this one day, my dad said, I'm going away all day. And it was in the middle of the winter and we farm tobacco. Yeah. The Amish are allowed to smoke as long as it's brown. That's true. They're not allowed to smoke cigarettes, but as long as it's brown, anything that's brown, they're allowed to smoke. And so they farm tobacco as a cash crop. And uh, so in the wintertime, you, you, you strip the tobacco, which means you, you take the leaves off the stalks and you bale it and sell it to the tobacco guy. And so you have a little room in the barn that has a stove in it, a little coal stove, and it's nice and cozy and warm. And it's called the stripping room, the tobacco stripping room. Just wanted to make that clear. The tobacco stripping room. <laughs> tobacco stripping room. <laughs> so, we, so that day my dad said, We're going, I'm going away all day. So I said to my brother, Crit, Christian, we call him Crit. He's a third in the family. I said, let's get the radio down. Pop's going to be away. While we strip tobacco today, let's get the radio. So we had it there and it was blaring. And it was during the time, you know, when the Beatles were brand new. I want to hold your hand. And she was just 17 and all those songs. And man, we were having a ball stripping tobacco that day. All of a sudden, the door went. We could hear it. It had a, it had a screech. We could, I said, oh. And here comes Pop home early. And uh, when the door screeched, there was no time. I mean, he was right there. And so now I'm thinking, I look over at my brother, Crit. he's like, uh, I don't should, should I go turn it off? What should I do? I mean, it's blaring. I want to hold you. You know, it was blaring. And uh, so my dad goes into the room where there was tobacco was, and he gets out, and he starts stripping. He didn't say a word. It just seemed like he knew when to say stuff and when to just be quiet. Because I was looking for a fight. I was always looking for a fight. And so he's stripping the back over. And I'm thinking, should I turn it off or what? And after a while, he says, where'd you get that thing? <laughs> I said, I got it at Barnes Hardware. That's all he ever said. So I just went over and turned it off. He knew. It seemed like he knew 
When to be slow to speak, quick to listen. (laughs) I haven't always been good in that area. I was a little more verbal. A little more. (laughs) Ask my wife. Yeah. She she, She was the other end of that the first four years of our marriage, which I regret. And I've regretted it all, all my life, but thank God for her forgiveness and God's forgiveness. But you know what? I haven't always been good in that area, but I've learned to say I'm sorry. I still have to watch it. I'm just, sometimes I react and I should respond. It's better to respond than to react. You ought to write that down. That's good right there. Better to respond than react. And um, uh, so one day, on the way to church, kids were little. We had an all-out brawl in the car. On the way to church. I mean, I was yelling. The kids were just unruly. And I was yelling. I was tired of it. I'm telling them to shut up, and you know, and I'm I I I have to preach that morning, and we're having this all-out brawl on the way to church, and we get to the church parking lot, and the Holy Spirit is just all over me, because I'm thinking, man, I gotta preach, I can't act like this, and so I just said, wait, 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 before anybody got out of the car, I said, wait, wait, and I just said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry even though you deserved it. (laughs) I didn't say that. I thought that. I thought that. (laughs) But I said, I'm sorry. And you know, folks, from that day on, I learned to be quick to say, I'm sorry. And some of you in this room need to take that lesson to heart. It is a healing thing that can heal something that's been going on for years in a moment. In James 3, we're talking about the tongue, the power of the tongue. It says in James 3, verse 2, it says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect And could also control ourselves, get this, in every other way. (laughs) Wow. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even through the when the winds are strong. Even in the storms of life that come your way. They come all, they come to all of us. If we can control our tongue, it can, the outcome can be good. Good Then it says, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. (laughs) But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. But I'd rather it be a fire for God. It is a whole world of wickedness. Corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. 
Wow. <laughs> That's some pretty tough language right there about the tongue. But I identify with verse 3. It says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. Growing up on an Amish farm, we farm with mules. And I remember having six mules team. When I was a boy, six mule team. Dick and Pete and Jack and Jewel and Mike and Kate. They were the mules. And I remember one little bit in the lead mule's mouth. I could control the whole team. Because we had jockey irons that went from the lead mule to the other ones. Pieces of iron that went to their bit. So I would just be concerned about Dick. One little bit. And he said, that's how our tongue is. If we control the tongue, we can control our whole life. It says in Proverbs ten nineteen, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Anyway. In Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes, make tempers flare. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. Colossians 3.21, parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. That boy in Danbury. That father was crushing his spirit. And that little phrase, crushing their spirit, means to be spiritless, disheartened, to deprive of confidence and courage. Our children want to be encouraged. They want us to believe in them. They want to be validated. I have a seven-year-old great-grandson named Colson. So he was in a soccer league this spring. So I'd go to the soccer games on Saturday morning and watch him play soccer. And I noticed that when he's out there in the field and he knows I'm over there, he's always looking over for my approval, for my thumbs up. One morning he made five goals. Kicked him into the five of them. Man, he was looking over and I was going, yes, yes, you can do it. They want to be in care. They want validation. Colossians 3, don't be too hard on them. Or they'll be spiritless. The reason Caleb was the one that entered into the land of Canaan, it says in Numbers 14, 24, he had a different spirit in him. But if you crush people or crush your kids, they'll be spiritless. You ever hear somebody say, well, they sure have heart. They have heart. They have heart. Well, you can crush a person to where they're heartless. I remember uh, my, our youngest... His name is Jamie. When he was in uh, elementary school, he was in a bowling league. And we had bowling uh, games Saturday mornings. I'd always go, you know. And, and he had a nice little form. And 
Even at age 10, he had about 150 average, and he was just, he was just doing pretty good. So it came to the last day, last Saturday of the, of the um, bowling league that particular season, and his team and another team were playing, rolling off for the championship. Come down to the 10th frame, and Jamie was the anchor man, and he needed three strikes in the 10th frame to win the championship. Three strikes. <laughs> and he looks back at me. I said, Jamie, you can do it. You can do it. You take one ball at a time. I said, hit your mark. You can do it. So he gets up and the first one's a strike. The second one's a strike. And he looks back at me and I say, you can do it. And he had the third strike. And they won the championship. And on the way home, he said, Dad, I think that's about the best feeling I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Got it. Our words can encourage. Our words can instill in people courage. Or they can discourage. It takes me to my next and last point. Choose to speak words that bring life. And make that decision before something happens that tempts you to react rather than respond. Make that decision before something happens that tempts you to react rather than respond. My son, Jamie, that I was just talking about, he's a jazz drummer. And he's good. Of course, I'm biased, but he is really good. And um, um, we go watch him. Sometimes he plays in clubs, you know. You say, oh, Pastor Sam, you mean you go to a club? Yeah. We'd, with our Pepsi. With our Pepsi. Pepsi in hand. And... Um, so, early 20s, he was kind of out there, and he, he had a DUI, and I was, he's just making some bad choices. And I'm praying, and I'm saying, Lord, and we had a, in our church, we had a professional jazz drummer. This guy would, would, would play at Carnegie Hall with groups. But he's in our church, and he was a committed Christian. And I thought, if Jamie could get with Clyde, Clyde would be a good influence on Jamie. So one day I just said it. I said, Lord, put Jamie with Clyde. Put Jamie with Clyde. I just said it. Jesus said you can have what you say. I just said it. I didn't pray about it. I just said it. For a year. For a year. Every day. I may have missed a few days here and there, but not many. And after a year, Jamie comes to me one day and says, Dad, what would you think if I'd get lessons from Clyde? I said, that'd be a great idea. Great idea. Great idea. And you know the first lesson he had with Clyde? He rededicated his life to the Lord. Amen. Christian today. Jazz drummer. So when he goes into the clubs, he's, he goes there because he believes he can be a positive influence for God. Pray and speak the word over your children 
over your grandchildren, over the people that you work with, over the people that you rub shoulders with. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> I'm sorry. Before my dad died, he's in the hospital. And I went in to see him one morning, and he was crying. And I'm a crybaby, so I started to cry. I said, what are we crying about? <laughs> he said, he said, get this, he said, I saw Jesus last night. I said, really? He said, yeah. He came into my room. I said, really? I mean, my hair started standing on end. Well, I didn't have any, but, you know. <laughs> Back then, I think I still had some. And, I, and he said, he gave me a message for every one of my kids. Twelve kids. I said, Pop, did you write it down? He said, no, I remember it all. So he gets out of the hospital and calls us all together and speaks those words over our lives. Almost like prophesying. I mean, my dad never did anything like that, but it was almost like that. It was that, I think. Prophetically, you know, and, and spoke to all of his kids that way. Now, I'm not saying that all of that, that kind of thing will happen to you, but I am saying, though, speak words that bring life. Sherlin and I speak these scriptures over our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren now. In Psalm 139, verse 16, it says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment, <laughs> wow, must be a big book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Wow. We pray that. We say, Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for our kids, for our grandkids, and for our great-grandkids. And we believe that they will fulfill that plan and purpose. And even when Jamie, our youngest, was out there doing his own thing, making some wrong choices, Sherlin's like a bulldog. She said, he is by faith fulfilling God's plan. Amen. Speaking of things that be not as though they were. And she would speak that over and over and over again. Sometimes you have to be like a dog with a bone when it comes to believing for your family. Don't let the devil steal your kids. Don't give up on your kids. I'm glad people didn't give up on me. When I was at my worst, coming home, I would be so drunk. I, my, my, my bedroom was on the second floor. This is before I was married. And I couldn't negotiate the steps. That's a nice way of saying I fell all over myself. <laughs> and I would go right past my parents' bedroom and the door would always be ajar about that much. And many times I'd see my mom in there on her knees. Yeah. And then she'd hear me fall. And she'd come out, put my arm over her shoulder 
and take me up the steps, tuck me in bed at age 18. Yep. Here's another scripture that we pray over our family. You know, sometimes people say, I wish Jesus would come back tomorrow. I always say, no way. No way. I'm ready if he comes, but I still know too many people that aren't ready. So I don't want him to come back tomorrow. And a few of those people are in my family. But Paul was a preacher. The Apostle Paul had an an amazing salvation experience, became a preacher. Him and his ministry partner were preaching in this place one time. And this little girl that was a fortune teller working for masters. In other words, she'd tell fortunes, they get the money. And she was uh, harassing Paul and Silas. Some of you know this story. And one day Paul just had enough and he turns around and commands that evil spirit to leave that little girl. And she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. And the masters got mad and had him arrested and put him in prison. And uh, while they were in prison, they were worshiping God and all the prisoners heard them, it says. And then uh, there was an earthquake and the jailer thought all the, because of the earthquake, all the prisoners would be free. And he was about to kill himself. And Paul said, don't kill yourself, we're all here. We're all here. And then, it says, Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked him, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them to wash their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily a promise. But I take that and I say, Lord, my whole household is going to be saved. My whole household. I'm not going to give up on my 26-year-old grandson. I'm not going to give up on him. I'm not going to give up on my 26-year-old grandson-in-law. Not going to do it. You know, last week I preached at our church uh, on Father's Day. And before I went to church that morning, these words came to my mind. And just right now, they came in my mind again. So I'm just going to share it. And the words were estranged and disconnected. Estranged and disconnected. So if you have 
a father or a mother, if you as a father or mother are disconnected or estranged from your children, I want to pray for you. Again, I'm not going to ask you who you are. I just want to pray. Because it's all over the place. People are suffering because they're disconnected or estranged from their children. For whatever reason. So you know who you are. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray. I pray. In the name above all names, the name of Jesus, we ask that you would open doors of reconciliation and healing in hearts where there is disconnection and estrangement. God, you are a God who makes a way when there seems to be no way. We thank you for softening hearts and for forgiveness to arise in every heart. Thank you for healing of relationships. And I pray a blessing over every home. I pray that every home here would be blessed spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that has never received you as their personal Lord and Savior, while your heads are bowed, I just want to remind you that Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you so that you could have a relationship with God and with him. But he came to the earth, left his heaven, heavenly place and came to the earth and died for mankind because man was eternally separated from God. So if you're here today and you've never accepted that gift of salvation, This is your day. I want to lead you in a prayer.